You're listening to Little Green Cheese, episode 78. Well, welcome back. I'm Gavin Weber, and this podcast is where you can learn about cheesemaking at home. This week's been quite interesting. Um, we have had very good response, or we, I, it was the royal we, um, I've had good response for the brick cheese uh, video tutorial. Um, and I think it's already surpassed 9,000 views on YouTube, which is quite good for the first uh, week, that's for sure. Uh, I really enjoyed making that cheese and trying to come up with a method of how to press it into the brick shape. Now, I have been washing it diligently every second day, but turning it every single day uh, for the last week. And it's starting to get a little bit tacky in between washes, which I know from experience is a sign that the red slash orange mould is going to start to grow very soon. So I don't have many cheeses this weekend because we're quite busy. I'm going to spend the weekend writing my uh, second book, uh, Keep Calm and Make More Cheese. Now, I'm about, uh, I would say, a third of the way through that uh, it, at the moment. I've got a lot more narrative to put in there, but I'm just uh, collating the recipes at the moment and uh, trying to get all of those squared away before I you know, finish tidying up uh, some of the wording and uh, some of the introductions and some of the, the more advanced tips that uh, I've certainly learnt over the last few years. Anyway, that's enough about me. Let's get on with the news. Well, the news this week is from, I think it's a newspaper called The Locavore, I think. No, it's called Flagpole, the colour bearer of Athens, Georgia. So it's an online newspaper, probably in print as well. And they've got a very interesting story about, uh, it's titled Say Cheese, Artisan Cheese Making Grows in Georgia. Uh, and it's by Lauren Baggett. And I'll just read a part of it here, which is quite interesting. It says, when Tyler Davis's family bought fancy cheese growing up, it was Cracker Barrel brand cheddar from a chain grocery store destined for mac and cheese. Davis, who is now the head cheesemaker and owner of Hobo Cheese Company in Covington, has developed a more refined palate for cheeses since then. And he is one of a handful of Georgian-based cheesemakers who are looking to infuse a little cheese culture into our local food economy. Quote, There hasn't historically been much cheese, much of a cheesemaking tradition down here. There's less demand overall in the South, Davis says. Local cheese shops are commonplace in states like New York, Wisconsin and Vermont, where far dairy farms dot the landscape and cheese plays a more central role in food culture. That may explain why, among the array of foods grown, raised and sold in Athens area, local cheese is hard to come by. Nature's Harmony Farm in Elberton has been quietly producing small batches of farmstead cheese since 2007, drawing the attention of artisan cheese lovers when its cheddar and alpine cheeses took home a slew of regional and international awards in 2014. 
including the Flavour of Georgia contest. Yet the celebration of local, locally made cheeses has been slow to spill into larger markets. That may be changing as more artisan cheesemakers are popping up in farmers' markets and smaller grocery stores in northeast Georgia. Now, it goes on to mention a whole bunch of other uh, Georgian cheesemakers, um, some like the Rockhouse Creamery. Um, what else we got here? Um, now, more mentions of the Hobo um, uh, Dairy as well. But it's good to see that uh, there are lots of different local cheesemakers. I know in our area, and I'm talking a large area, probably a 160-kilometre radius, which is 100 miles, we've probably got, that I know of, two or three cheese artisan cheesemakers that sell their cheeses to the public. Um, but you go out a little bit further into the dairy heartlands of Victoria, which is Gippsland to the uh, east of us and the um, Otway Ranges or, um, yeah, the Otway Ranges to the east and there are a lot of dairy parches, a lot of dairy farms supplying a lot of milk and a lot of making a lot of cheese um, in a larger scale. So it's interesting to find these small little cheesemakers dotted throughout countrysides uh, and you really do have to hunt for them. Um, sometimes a Google search just doesn't cut it. You have to go to some of the local information centres in these towns to find out where these little dairies or creameries are. But, uh, yeah, I do urge you um, in your quest for the perfect cheese to, you know, seek out some of these little small artisan cheesemakers because they'll be able to give you tips. I'm sure they'll love to share their passion of cheese. You know, you're never going to be able to replicate their cheese that you make, but it is, um, you know, it's always good to have a chat to a fellow cheesemaker because they just get it. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, so I reckon that uh, if you do uh, find one of your local cheesemakers, then it probably pays to support them as well. You're never going to be able to make enough cheese for yourself. I know that's a fact for our family because um, sometimes uh, Kim does buy the odd block of Cracker Barrel cheese. <laughs> ah, goodness me. Okay, we've got a few uh, voicemails this week, uh, which are absolutely fantastic. So let's get on with those. Uh, the first voicemail is from uh, Barnabas. Barnabas, here we go. Hello. Hi, Gavin. I just saw your video about how to measure uh, your cheese and your cheese fridge. And I liked it a lot. Um, I could definitely get such a fridge and get that uh, uh, thermostat uh, to, to switch off and on the fridge. But I saw that your cheeses were vacuum packed or packaged. And so I was wondering whether it is working without the packaging or not. Or uh, if, if it is required with the setup to vacuum package, how do you vacuum package? What, what accessories do you need? Um, uh, and that's pretty much it. If you could help me with that, that would be great. Thank you a lot. Bye. No, thank you, Barnabas. Uh, no problems at all. Cool question. Um, vac packing, how do you do it? Well, I actually produced a video on how to do it, um, but the uh, the short and tall of it, of, of uh, vacuum packing, is basically uh, 
there are lots of brands out there, but the one that I use and uh, stick to because it's quite reliable is known as a food save. Uh, it's a Sunbeam food saver, and that's the product that I use. And the good thing is that the uh, plastic rolls that you um, that you use actually fit inside the machine, so you don't have to store them anywhere separate. So you put a full plastic roll in there. There's even a little cutting tool. So basically you pull a bit of the plastic out, about the size you reckon for the size wheel of cheese that you need. Um, you uh, cut the end off it. You use the slicer thing and uh, you seal one end. Then you put your cheese inside and uh, then you put your cheese inside and then you vacuum, suck all the air out of it and it automatically seals all by itself. Now, the good thing is when cheese matures, just say normal hard to to um, semi-hard cheeses, they don't need oxygen to mature. That's a, that's a bit of a, a, a myth and a furphy because what happens is as the... Uh, the rennet's done its job as the mesophilic or the thermophilic starter cultures have done their job, they actually die off and parts of them become what they're known as enzymes. Now, enzymes break down other materials and in this case, they break down proteins and they break down fats, uh, which create the lovely flavours that we get for cheese um, that are well known within the different types of cheeses. So you don't need oxygen to do that. Uh, so that's why vac packing works so well. Now, exactly the same thing sort of happens with when you wax a cheese. When you wax it, you're excluding the oxygen. You're trying to stop moulds and yeasts from attacking your cheese by putting up a, uh, a layer around it, a protective layer uh, that excludes the oxygen. So when you do natural rind cheeses, you're kind of trying to do the opposite sort of thing. So you're trying to get the native flora um, from your area, as in the bacterium that are local to your area, to grow on the outside of the cheese. And in some cases, you need to wash the rind um, continuously, say once every week at least, to, uh, to keep those at bay, but they help develop some of the flavour within the cheese. So there are three methods, um, and hopefully I've described vacuum packing. What I'll do, I'll put a link to you the video for vacuum packing in the show notes um, so you can just click click on that and uh, be whisked off to youtube to my channel cheeseman.tv and uh, you'll see how vacuum packing works okay the next question is from jim i think it's a thank you more than um, anything else hi gavin jim appleby from uh, manitoba in canada here i run a little creamery on the farm I have uh, been just bottling our milk and doing the non-homogenized uh, thing and um, kind of catering to cheesemakers as best I can. I make cheese mostly just for fun right now and for our family. Uh, and I wanted to let you know what an incredible amount I've learned from your podcast. I mention it to people on occasion and I tell them it's uh, it's like going on a fancy expensive course without the uh, expense and uh, travel. So much appreciated. I also wanted to say how much I'm looking forward to your second ebook because I have taken one or two or maybe three of your 
videos uh, and uh, written out the recipes myself. But uh, one of my goals with Little Creamery is to uh, make and sell lots of different types of cheese. And and uh, your education uh, has been uh, a huge beginning to that for me. So uh, thank you. You're most welcome, Jim. I really appreciate uh, the uh, the great feedback there and uh, that the podcast is doing something for somebody. Um, it's great to get that sort of feedback. And it's very hard uh, to receive feedback from uh, for, for podcast episodes, unlike YouTube, which has a built-in comment section that um, people freely seem to want to express their opinion on every single video that I create good or bad, and I seem to leave most of them there, in there unless they're uh, swearing or something like that because I do run a family-friendly channel. Um, but thank you, Jim, no problems. And the book will be out soon. I know I promised it for the end of March, and it's now, what is it, it's July. Um, but, uh, yeah, due to ill health, that kind of book got put on the back burner. So um, I'm going to have a good crack at it this weekend and uh, see if I can tidy up some of the loose ends there. But anyway, thank you so much for your voicemail. It was lovely to hear from you, Jim. All right, the next one is from Spencer, and I think this is a thank you as well. Hey, Gavin, I just wanted to say I watch all your videos. I think you're awesome. I've been making cheese now for a little bit over here in the United States, and uh, I will continue to watch because I don't think I've seen anybody else make better videos or produce a better curd. I think a lot of people are really lacking the use of uh, the calcium chloride. Okay, well, um, good to you down under. All right, bye-bye. Thanks, Spencer. I appreciate it, mate. Um, and uh, g'day to you over there in the U.S. Um, yeah, so as far as videos, uh, there is another cheese channel, and I can't remember if I've mentioned this on the podcast. If you go to uh, YouTube and you want a little bit more cheesy content, there's a guy over there called Job, and Job has a channel called Job's Cheese Lab, and uh, he is doing lots of sort of funky cheese experiments. So... Things like um, how you wrap your Bloomy Rhine cheeses, so like a, a Camembert variant, and he wrapped it in different uh, things, like some wax paper, some in cling wrap, and I uh, can't remember the other one, but um, and he wanted to see how the mould grew and developed and what they tasted like. Another experiment he did was he made a, I think it was like a cheddar-style cheese or something like that, and... Um, he used mesophilic in one and he used thermophilic culture in the other one. And it was very interesting to see the results. So that was very interesting. So Job's doing all those sort of uh, experiments that, uh, you know, I don't dare to because <laughs> I suppose the content I'm trying to make is more instructional for uh, newbie cheesemakers or curd nerds who have never made a cheese before and they want the step-by-step -step instructions. So that's kind of what I'm doing um, as far as my channel. But it's interesting to see a twist on that on Job's channel, uh, Job's Cheese Lab. So very interesting. If you're interested, pop over there. I'll pop a link in the show notes for that as well. Okay, and the last question for today is from Ted. And Ted's got a good question. Hi, Gavin. This is Ted in Moscow. Um, I would like to know... I would like to make feta from goat and cow's milk mix, and I would like to know what proportion you'd recommend. 
Also, uh, the, the milk I buy is unpasteurized and it is uh, from healthy animals. So I probably will not pasteurize as I've used this milk for years now making homemade kefir and uh, it's no problem at all. Uh, very, very cool feature on this site. Thank you very much. No, thank you, Ted, all the way from Moscow. Fantastic. Um, the ratio that I would do, I would do 70% cow's milk and 30% goat's milk. And if you want it a little bit sharper, then go 50-50%. So uh, that's a good ratio. Uh, you'll get a lot of the natural lipase that is present in goat's milk and not present in cow's milk, or not as much anyway. It usually gets killed off in the pasteurization process. But seeing using unhomogenized, unpasteurized milk, then uh, you'll get the full flavor um, that those milks offer. Um, but if you are dubious of the quality of the milk at any stage, don't be afraid to um, do uh, what's that, thermization or uh, it's called batch processing or batch uh, pasteurization, where you take it up to. Uh, 63 degrees Celsius as quick as you can. Oh, sorry, slowly over time. It's not quick. <laughs> um, 63 degrees Celsius. Hold it there for 30 minutes, at least 30 minutes, and then cool it down quickly. That's the quick part. You want to get it past the danger zone um, as quickly as possible. Um, or just let it cool down to the temperature you need to start making your cheese at. So that's a good way to do it as well. Uh, take it down to four degrees for storage, of course, um, if you're going to store it for a few days. Anyway, so thank you, Ted, all the way from Moscow. Hopefully that's helped. You can experiment with the different ratios and that'll give you different flavours um, due to the uh, lactic bacteria present in the milk. So that's all we've got time for this week. Um, unfortunately, there weren't a lot more questions. Uh, but uh, keep those questions coming in. Uh, to leave a question for the show, just pop over to littlegreencheese.com and on any of the podcast episodes, you'll see a little widget that says leave a message for Gavin or on the right-hand side, so, right side bar, there is a little thing, leave a message for Gavin. So that's how you leave a message for me and leave a cheese question. I would love to answer your cheese questions on the show. Um, but yeah, if you just want to say thank you, I'm quite happy to read those or play those as well. Thank you so much for all the questions that came in this week. Um, I do appreciate it. Okay. Um, things uh, on the horizon, like I said, over the weekend, I'll be continuing writing the book, but I've got a few cheeses. I want to make a Ohaka. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it. It's a Mexican string cheese which is pasta falada curds. So it's a stretchy, it's a bit like mozzarella that you stretch it a lot and you make it into a ball. So it looks like a, a ball made from um, rubber bands or elastic bands, um, but it's made from cheese instead. So that's pretty cool. So I'm planning to make that in the next few weeks. Um, there's a few taste tests coming down the line. This week we'll be having um, Cheshire. So anybody who wanted to follow what Cheshire cheese tasted like, um, then I'll be putting up a YouTube uh, a taste test um, this weekend. So that'll be Cheshire. Anyway, thanks for listening. I do appreciate you lending me your ears. Oh God, it's like a tongue twister, isn't it? 
um, lending me your ears um, over the course of the last uh, 20 minutes and uh, really do appreciate the time you've taken to listen. Now, if you want to leave an iTunes review, if you're listening on iTunes, uh, then that would be fantastic. Just pop over there and give it a whatever star rating you want. Um, and any of those um, uh, reviews, they get read out on the show. Now, I haven't had many lately because... I haven't been asking for them, I suppose. So, yeah, just pop over to iTunes and give it a review. Or if you are watching this on YouTube, because I'm doing a video version as well, then leave a comment below and tell me what the best bit of the show was. Um, and if you want to see anything different or hear, see or hear um, anything different uh, to the content of the program, any feedback is welcome, of course. You've been listening to Little Green Cheese Podcast. You can pick up my ebook, Keep Calm and Make Cheese The Beginner's Guide to Cheese Making at Home, at all good ebook retailers at Amazon and iBookstore, plus many, many others. You can also find it over at littlegreenworkshops.com.au, and there you can always find lots of cheese making kits, supplies, and ingredients. We ship all over the world to most countries, except those that don't let us, of course. Thanks for listening, Curd Nerds, and stay tuned for the next exciting episode of Little Green Cheese Podcast. During the show, you heard music by Kevin McLeod. I played Malt Shop Bop, Call to the Dairy Cows, and News Theme. <laughs>